0: I know I didn't even have to say anything. Wow, hello. Huh? Like that? <laughs> okay, perfect. Can you hear me? I always feel like Britney Spears with this mic on. I look like Britney Spears? Well, I said I feel. <laughs> Okay, Jamie, we'll talk about that later. Uh, Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but it is Joe's birthday. But we can't sing to him. We can't sing to him because I'm trying to win Best Wife. Of Joe of the Year award, and this morning he says, "No, it will actually embarrass me." And this is embarrassing enough. <laughs> so, but it's Joe's birthday, so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited, and I am excited to be here this morning and to to continue our sermon series about being wrecked for anything less. Which, um, when Jamie first said it, I was like, "Okay, Jamie, I want to understand. <laughs> I want to get it. I want to wrap my head around it." And then. Two weeks ago at dinner, I finally understood. I had a revelation. I'm not going to say it was from God because it's about cheese. But let me tell you the story. Okay. So in June, Joe and I went on our honeymoon, and we went to Italy. It was amazing. It was so good. It was, we went, we went um, on like a 30-mile bike ride. We saw the Colosseum. We went to a cooking class. We swam in the Mediterranean Sea. And mostly we ate. We ate so much food. Um, we ate a lot of food. And while we were there, we got to go on a tour of a Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese factory it was amazing. If you've seen the uh, documentary, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, we basically lived out um, the fat part of it. <laughs> so it was so good. Um, so we got to see how the, the cheese is stored, made, and aged, and we actually got even got to pet the cows that make the milk that produce the cheese. And um, So I don't know if you know anything about Parmigiano-Reggiano, but I want you to know that anything you've eaten that was made in America is a lie. (laughs) So um, all Parmesan from the U.S. is a complete lie (laughs) because Parmigiano-Reggiano actually has to be made from one small region of Italy. Um, the cows have to eat the correct amount of grass from that region. They have to be like fed at a certain time in a certain ratio. The cheese has to be made a certain way in a certain factory, and there's like a consortium that like regulates all of this really highly. And even one step further, after the cheese has been aged 12 months, somebody it's it is somebody's job to come in and beat the cheese with a little hammer. And to make sure that it doesn't have too many holes or abnormalities in it. And if it does, they strip it of all of its titles and it's just called cheese. I kid you not. Like, if, if they find anything wrong with it, they're like, nope, this isn't even Parmigiano Reggiano. It's just cheese. And it's sold at a lower price. But if it's really good, there's no holes, it's been like made all the right way, they stamp it with a stamp of approval and it says Parmigiano Reggiano. And at the end of the tour, we got to try one that had been uh, three, one that had been aged for 12 months, one that had been aged for 24 months, and one that had been aged for 32 months. And if you're in the cheese world, you should be impressed. Um, But it was amazing. It was so good. It was glorious. It was like unlike any cheese experience I've ever had in my life, right? And when we were in Italy, we could have as much of this as we wanted. Yes, it's expensive, but since it's a lot closer, it's a lot more affordable. And back here, I realized sitting at dinner two weeks ago while I'm pouring the fake lye of a Parmesan cheese onto my plate that I'm wrecked. I'm wrecked for anything less. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that about myself, and I finally got it. I was like, ah. But I can't afford to buy imported fancy cheese all the time, so you will catch me eating the lie Parmesan cheese. So I'm just putting that out there. But whenever I can, I want the real stuff. They actually sell it at Winco. If you want to know later, I'll teach you how to find the real stuff. But, um, but I get it, right? I'm totally wrecked for fake Parmesan cheese, and I want the real stuff. So today, I get to talk about what it means to be wrecked for fake community and to long for the real Parmigiano, Reggiano of deep, unified, Jesus-centered community. And I want us to taste that, right? Like, in, in our lives, I want us to say, I want us to get to the end of our lives and say, like, I tasted it. I know what really good community tastes like. And I want us to be able to say, like, I, and I'm done. I'm done with the plastic container full of fake community that gives me half-truths that... Um, tells me lies that divides us and the, one, the community where I have to be fake or I have to hide. I want us to be done with that and to always long after the good cheese goodness of real community. Okay, I'll stop the cheese metaphor. But, but my, my last thing about cheese, okay, is that... The difference between Parmigiano-Reggiano and community is many things, but one, glaring, one glaringly different thing is that um, community can happen anywhere. We don't need like really speci- special, fancy ingredients. We don't need a certain group of people that look a certain type of way. We don't need this highly curated environment to have a good, healthy community. I actually think it's accessible to you and to me and to this whole city. And while I was planning to talk about healthy community, I started to think about our church. And I want to name a reality. I actually think God has blessed us with really good community. If you are new to Pullman Foursquare, I want you to know there's a lot of people in this room that want to be your friend. And Heidi and Jamie are probably the two front runners. <laughs> um, I actually have this written in my sermon notes, but Heidi, you said it. You were like, when we invite you to this stuff, it's not because we want you to be busy. I have in my notes, when we invite you to this stuff, it's not because we want high numbers or good monthly reports. Um, it's driven by actually this church really has a desire to love each other and love God well and wants to do that in community. And I think we have room to grow. I think we're dedicated actually to growing in this um, But I think our church has been blessed with a lot of people who see the good in being a community of believers together. And actually, that's why I came to this church. I was just telling Sherry the other day, I came to this church because people remembered my name and wanted to um, see me again. And that was enough for me to keep coming. And I've now been here four years. So, And they still know my name. Um, so yeah, community is is why I'm actually part of this church, and I think that God has really been kind to us in giving us a lot of beautiful community here. So I've been tasked with what to say to a church that already thinks community is a good thing. I don't have to stand up here and try to convince you um, that community is good, because I think you you might already know. So I thought about that for a long time this week. To podcasts, and I listened and I I read the Bible and I prayed, and I started to think about um, the loneliness I actually see in our world. And for me, because I'm a campus minister down at LCSC in Lewiston, I thought about the loneliness I see on campus, the longing for community. And I listened to this story actually of this, this woman who really didn't like Christians, but she lived next door to them and they kept inviting her to dinner (laughs) and they just kept inviting her and she finally said yes and she just went to dinner with them and after a while that's how she came to know and love Jesus and I thought about myself who when I went to college I was really really lonely and I also was pretty angsty about Christians (laughs) but I got invited to a Christian community um, where even though I kept trying to make them not like me. They kept me around and kept inviting me back. And I started to think about the juxtaposition of how good community can be and how lonely our world is and how um, the kind of community that God gathers is usually community that's pretty unlikely, like me as a freshman coming to small group or that woman who didn't like Christians going to her neighbor's house. And as I was studying Acts this week, I actually think we can um, start to dig through this concept of unlikely community in in the book of Acts. Because in Acts, what I actually see is that what draws unlikely people together and unites them to make a community is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this wonderful thing where suddenly there are like tons of people all in the same space who don't even speak the same language. So... Uh, this morning I'm gonna start in Acts one. We're gonna be there very briefly and then we're gonna hang out in Acts two. So if you wanna get your Bibles out or do them on your phone, I'm not I didn't I don't have it on the screen, so you'll have to I will read it though, so no one fear. <laughs> okay. Okay, so in Acts 1, Jesus um, is about, he has died, risen, and he's about to leave the earth. And this is what he leaves his disciples with. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's how Jesus leaves them, with a promise. He basically says, like, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you. And that's when things are really going to heat up. And then, very shortly after, we see Pentecost happen. That's when we're in Acts 2. I promised we were going to be in Acts 1 for just a second. So in Acts 2, we see Jesus' um, basically prophecy, Jesus' Jesus's promise come true. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit came and they started to witness to Jewish people from every nation under heaven. Let's revisit Acts 1. You will receive the, the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Boom. Done. Done. <laughs> So uh, we, we know now that this is not every nation under heaven. But we do, like to them, this was every nation under heaven. And a movement started then. That day, uh, in the rest of Acts 2, you can see that they heard the gospel. The nations heard the gospel that day. And because of that day, 3,000 believers were added to their group. Okay. So the Holy Spirit has drawn together some unlikely people. The Holy Spirit has enabled them to speak to people from other backgrounds, and the Holy Spirit has poured out gifts. And now, after they have been gathered and empowered by the Holy Spirit, this multi-ethnic community from many nations, who speak different languages, who have different cultures, who are vastly different people, are charged in doing life together. So this is the part where they have to choose in. When we were singing I Surrender All, this is the part I was thinking about. I was like, okay, 3,000 people have to gather together and be the a community. And with the power of the Holy Spirit backing them, this is what it says they did. Okay, in Acts 2.42 it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Wait, pause. Everything in common means they shared everything. They are not like clones, just as an FYI. Um, In case you were wondering if we suddenly turned sci-fi, no, still real people. Um, Okay, 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the story we have so far is the Holy Spirit comes and pours out on this community. People are so attracted to it that 3,000 people join, and then they move into community together. And this unlikely group of people actually decides to live their lives very radically. They decide to share what they have. They decide to give to anyone who had need. They meet together at 7 30 every Tuesday morning. I'm kidding. They meet together in the temple courts every day to pray. They invite each other and maybe even strangers into their home to eat together. So it's pretty radical. So this week in preparation, I actually studied this passage, Acts 2 42 through 47, with my students And I'd like to share a little glimpse of what happened in this study with you guys. So the first thing I would do is I would ask them, what is good about a community like this? And they would mention a sense of safety. They would say, knowing this community would have my back and support me would be so good. They talked about how beautiful it would be to see so many different people coming together to have the same values. Um. We talked about how living this life would make you feel loved and seen and that it would actually be fun. Uh, One student talked about how, like, oh, well, you could always eat dinner with someone or, like, you would never be lonely or you would always have a friend to do something with. Um, Life would feel really full. Community like this would make you feel supported. And one one student, I, I saw one student even wrote on her paper, this is what I want. Okay. This is the kind of staff worker I am. Then I said... Okay, great. Well, that's awesome. So how would you feel if I told you right now that everything you own isn't yours anymore? It's all of ours. You're going to share it all. You're going to share your time, and you're going to share your house, your dorm room, your car, your um, your food, and your money. You're going to share your money. And we're going to go around and, and talk to everyone on this campus and ask who needs help and then do it. And also, we're going to meet every morning at 7.30 a.m., to pray. And uh, then we're going to, yeah, we're just going to do it all with glad and sincere hearts. Sound good? I wanted to know what it would feel like if it wasn't hypothetical anymore. And they were all like, "Uh." and mind you, these people have been in my small group for literally three weeks. (laughs) So they're not like people I've built trust with. And They started just, like, shaking their heads. One guy, like, leaned really back, far back in his chair, and I was like, oh, yes. Um, So they started talking about what they have to give up to be like that. One student was like, my time, my schedule, it's ruined. No. And then another student said, oh, my sister always breaks my stuff when she borrows it. I don't want to give it to other people so they can break it too. And uh, they started to be like, well, actually, if I invite people into my house, that's really risky. What if I don't, what if they take something from me? Or what if, what if, like, I end up doing so much more work than everyone else? And then um, someone said, well, I feel frustrated that, like, that person who needed something didn't work for what they got. And I just, what, I'm I'm supposed to give away what I have so that they can have something that I earned? And then... um, And then uh, this one student said, I remember him being like, I just don't think so. (laughs) Like, no, because it just seemed too risky. It seemed too vulnerable. It actually started to seem impossible. When we started to make it really practical to our own lives, we started to actually believe that maybe we didn't believe that it was possible. Like, we were like, oh, this is impossible. (laughs) And I see it in my students, but I also see it in our world. I think we start off really deeply longing for something like this. We start off saying, "Like, wouldn't it be great to feel so supported? Wouldn't it feel good to know that my community had my back? Wouldn't it be nice to know that I would be fed and cared for? I really want deep friendship. I really want that kind of community. But then we look around us, and we start to think it's impossible. We often see this as, as unreal. We are too different, too divided. We start to think like 3,000 people could not be in a community like this because I can't find a community like this of 20 people. So when I look around me, I, I see actually a really lonely and divided world who actually longs for something deeper like in Acts 2 So why does it seem impossible? I have news for you. It's because with humans it is. It is impossible. A community like this that devotes themselves to Jesus, to unity, to surrender, and servanthood is straight up impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it alone, and I don't think we should try. Because the Holy Spirit, the power of God, makes it far from impossible. Like I said, we didn't go sci-fi. Acts 2 is not fiction. It is the truth, and it happened. Steps towards being a community like this, unified, really different people, only happen with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just bring something home again about this community is that they weren't all nice, likable, they didn't all have the same ideas, they didn't all have the same politics. I bet you that when people were inviting each other to their houses, it wasn't even they only invited the people that they liked. And I bet you some of the houses that people were going to were not people that they liked. Like, I I bet they were equally as human as we are. But what connected them was faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I actually think that that emboldened them to have enough surrender to say yes to community that was hard in order to chase after what God had for them. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, that's when you have the real deal Parmigiano-Reggiano of community. That's when the real deal starts. And when I say unlikely people, I want to I wanna mention it's unlikely for humans, not unlikely for God. Because if you get to know God, what you're going to find out is that this is totally what God does. He gathers all these people that make no sense together from all divides, from all different walks of life. And he says, yeah, you're going to be family now. <laughs> that is what God does. And for God, this this Acts 2 is pretty typical. For humans, very atypical. We like to be around people that make us comfortable, people that we agree with, people that look like us, people that do what we do, people that share our hobbies. But God calls us higher into unlikely relationships. And it's no wonder why Jesus said things like, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. If somebody, oh, pray for those who mistreat you. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, Do not demand it back. Do to others as you have them do to you. So in this example of community, there's something really special and really wonderful and also really sobering. This is hard work. Community is hard work. I think for a long time, I believed that if I just did more Christian things, and if I just like did the right stuff, and if I worked on my humanly power to be a good person longer and, and more fervently, that I would be able to love my enemies. But it actually doesn't come from anything but surrender to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I don't get to just like work harder and then suddenly not be a human anymore. I happen to always be a human, and my, like, inherent um, tendency will be to want to keep everything to myself, to protect myself, and surround myself with people that make me feel comfortable. So it's a constant battle for me to surrender my pride and my individuality, my time, and my life to Jesus. But when we do, when we choose into that, we get to see the beauty of the kingdom of God. This morning I thought about the fact that when we choose into a community like this, we get to see that God is not only in the people like us, it is in the people not like us. God is in and loves so many people. When we're in God's kind of community, we realize it's completely opposite of the community, of the the world. In God's community, all are welcome. And I mean all. I mean people from every political party, I mean mean people, (laughs) I mean nice people, I mean people who are single, people who are married, I mean straight people and people from the LGBTQ plus community, I mean people from every nation, people from every ethnicity, people from every culture, I mean every single person in this room, I mean every single person in this town, all invited, all welcomed, all loved. And I've realized that in a community like that, that is where we see the joy of Jesus. And I long for us, as, a, as the people sitting here, not to miss that. I want us to taste the community that God has for us. Taste the community that makes us feel supported. Taste the community that makes us closer to God. And that's why I believe when the whole, that, thats why I believe that it's not a fluke—when the Holy Spirit shows up and tons of different people come together, because when the doors swing so wide, when the invitation is so big, it's no wonder that people from every corner say yes. The Holy Spirit um, needs to lead our community. This this group of people here needs to be unified by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to come in and help us witness to each other. So if I was sitting anywhere but literally right here, I would be saying, Annie, I get it. It's good. Okay, I, I, I hear you. The Holy Spirit's good. <laughs> but you're not being practical enough. How do I do this? What does that look like? Um, great. Well, I'll give you an example. In college, I was actually part of a community that was, because we were studying Acts 2, tried to live it out in this way. Um, and we were a community that, against all odds, were friends. I actually remember, and if anyone in my community like listens to this, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. I remember looking around being like, I would not hang out with any of you if it wasn't for Jesus. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is really random. Because there were people from every walks of life there. And I remember, I remember thinking, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are even a Bible study. Um. So we were studying Acts 2, and we decided to try to live out this lifestyle for ourselves. And I think we knew it would be difficult, but we we decided to chase after something that would be really good, even though it was hard. So we decided to break Acts 4, Acts 2, into four parts. We saw that they devoted themselves to the Bible, that they broke bread together, that they practiced radical generosity, and they prayed together. So... To devote ourselves to the teachings, we met weekly for Bible study, for church, and for a group we called Awake. Yeah, I know. It was our Friday night large group, um, and it was always funny to tell someone you were going to Awake. Yeah, gets weird after a while. Um, you'll get it later if you don't get it right now. Uh, the, um, to break bread together, we decided that we would actually meet before and after each of those um each of those meetings, to eat together. And what we would do is we'd gather in the dorm at this long table, and we'd all eat together. And we'd just invite whoever, whoever we saw on the way or whatever, and we'd all come and we'd eat together in the dorms. And then on Sunday, we would have what we called Waffle Sunday because we didn't have a better name. And this group of guys would open up their house, and everybody would come in, and we'd all eat together these beautiful sourdough waffles every Sunday. And we invited everyone we saw at church, and we invited everyone we saw on the way. And then, in order to tend to the needs around us, we made a Facebook page where we could share the need about the needs we heard in our community. And I remember there was everything on there. There was car needs. There was, um, I need a ride. There was people having emotional needs. And then we started um, letting each other borrow our stuff. And then we started letting strangers borrow our stuff. And there's actually this infamous story uh, where this guy makes a copy of his car key and hangs it outside his door, his dorm door, and lets anyone on the dorm floor borrow his car whenever they want to. There was a schedule, but still, oh my gosh. (laughs) That's like a lot of, if you love your car, just try to imagine that. Um, And there were lots of things like that. People would borrow each other's clothes. People would borrow each other's beds. People would borrow a lot of things from each other. Um and we prayed. We actually met at 7:30 every morning in while we were studying acts in the middle of the quad to pray together. And um so this is all fun, but it was really hard. <laughs> I remember uh, especially the 7:30 in the morning was very hard for me and my roommate would wake me up like this. Glad and sincere hearts. Okay, let's go. <laughs> and I was like, "No! I'm so tired." <laughs> But um, being part of a community like this actually really changed my life. I think sometimes I say, yeah, it changed my life. But it really changed my life. Um, Like it changed what I do with my life. I think being part of a community like this is part of why I work for University. Part of why I hope that students can find a community like this in college. I felt a new sense of freedom. I felt a new sense of joy. And I think this community is part of the reason why I am convinced that God loves us. And it's changed my life outside of college as well, which is why I want you to count the cost, right? My life is different now. When Joe and I were picking a house, we wanted a guest bedroom so that whoever wanted to could come and stay with us. In our marriage, we have a value to give away money, which is really inconvenient sometimes. (laughs) We have a value to give away our stuff, which is also really inconvenient sometimes. When somebody asks to borrow my car or I almost said lawnmower. I don't even have one. I'm always borrowing a lawnmower. Um, to borrow my things, I have to remember that when that, is, because that kind of community that God invites us to is actually really good. But I want to tell you, especially you, Jamie, I'm wrecked for anything less. Okay? I really am, guys. I am sold on the fact that my life will always be better in community. And I'm also sold on the fact that I will not be able to be in a community like the one Jesus calls me into if I don't have the Holy Spirit. So now six years later, here I am just trying every day. <laughs> and I uh, believe wholly that this church and this city could grow into more of the community that God has for us, but I believe it can't happen outside of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I love a good practical application, and I think if you listen well enough, there are maybe some practical applications for our lives. Maybe you're right now feeling like, oh my gosh, I really need to make a copy of my car key and hang it somewhere. Or maybe you're like, I need to break bread with my friends. And actually, as I was listening to the announcements, I realized everything we do in this church aligns with what Acts 2 does, right? We break bread together, tons of potlucks. We meet in the morning to pray together. We devote ourselves to the teaching by coming to church and coming to maybe EHS or Rooted. You know, there's so many ways that we can live like this. But how I really want to apply this sermon is by praying. I think we should pray that the Holy Spirit comes and empowers us to be people that could reach across every line to love people well that we could be people that fight the divisions of the world and instead choose to be united by the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to pray for us, and I I want you to stand with me if you're able. Hmm. Yeah, Jesus, I'm remembering that this week, um, what you taught me was the words of someone else, and it's that we don't have to agree to disagree. We can just disagree and still hang out. And I pray that for this church. I pray that for this city. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fall fresh on us? Would you empower us to be people who love the unlikely even if we are the unlikely to be loved. God, I acknowledge that we are someone's unlikely to be loved. God, I pray that you would give us the patience, that you would give us the care, that you would give us the time, that you would help us to hate, lay down our pride, lay down our prejudices, lay down our preconceived notions to realize that there are not favorites in the kingdom of God, but you love us deeply. Yeah, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would fill us right now, in this place, in this moment, to go out and love and serve you. Would we be your witnesses to the ends of the earth? Would we see the, the end of the earth, the corner that is unreached? And instead of shying away, Jesus, would you help us to move in closer? Yeah, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to see that this could be a good thing, that even though we will lose so much in surrendering to you, that what we gain will be so much better. Yeah, Holy Spirit, please come. Please guide us. Please be with us. I pray for, yeah, I pray for breakthrough. I pray for a Holy Spirit-led catalytic moment that causes breakthrough in our community. Yeah, Jesus. Amen. And he asked me to close with a, a song or so. I want to take the time to do that.